The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. I'm Andrew. I'll be reading from Acts chapter 4 in its entirety. If you're reading from the Bibles around the room, it starts on page 1093. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in his name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges." As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. 
No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that there were uh, in them all, there were, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. God bless the reading of his word. We are going through a series on Acts, so hopefully you've been able to be here through the teachings. We took a break last week for Pentecost. How many of you were able to be at Pentecost? I know I saw many of you there. Um, this is That's not a shame, a shame question, <laughs> but it was good. It's a great continuation for Pentecost where we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, although he was already there, but this freshness of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. And so this is just a perfect continuation of what we had there. Um, just as a brief aside, back to um, chapter 3, because you can't have chapter 4 without chapter 3. But in chapter 3, do you guys remember Ellis, I believe, teaching on um, chapter 3, where there's Peter and John and the other disciples are walking, and they come across a man who's been lame from birth. And Peter looks at him in the eye and, in the name of Jesus, healed him, and he could walk. Um, and at that time, there's people crowd, crowding around because people know this guy, and he gets healed. And right there in front of everyone, Peter, in his confidence and boldness, proclaims the truth of Jesus, just very simply, very boldly, and everyone's gathering around. And that's the setting for what we're walking into in chapter 4. And so there's this a crowd of people around Peter, and then you see the rulers and the elders and everyone coming in. I'm just going to do, because that was such a long chapter, I'm going to run through some basic points. It's a long chapter, so I'm not going to cover everything. So on your way home, when you're saying to yourself, oh, she, she didn't say this, or she left out that, or she could have said this, which we all do, that's okay. You just grab a friend and talk about it over lunch or coffee this week, and everything that I missed, you dig through with a friend. Um, but just some overview. Let's just go through. So the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the other rulers are now gathered, um, and they're taking Peter and John into custody. Peter boldly proclaims the truth to them. While they're in custody, then they're released. Then they get together with the other believers. Their release causes great um, flow of worship to God, the creator. Then the Holy Spirit comes. They're empowered to keep teaching boldly. And then the believers are one heart and one mind. Some of the major things, you know, you, mostly Brandon and I teach together. So I feel, I feel a little empty, like I guess he's usually on this side. Um, but although he's not on with me, he did um, prepare this with me. So if I miss anything, you just shout it out from the second row. Um, and he would, uh, so <laughs> uh, thankfully. But as we were talking through this, one of the major, the major theme that we saw from this passage was disciples' obedience to share Christ, to be witnesses of what they've seen and heard. And that's 
simple, right? They're witnesses of what they've seen and heard Jesus do. If you see in verse 19, it says, but Peter and John answered them. This is the, the rulers and the elders. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you be the judge. And in verse 20, we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. And so we're seeing that their being a witness is just the intention to tell the truth of what they've experienced. They are not trying to be right. They're not trying to get into a debate with the other um, people around them. Uh, they're not trying to be famous or to be seen because if their goal was to be famous, they would have probably changed their message a little bit. Um, and they're not, they're not necessarily trying to, um, to win converts or get results. I think that they realize that that's, that's, not, that's not their job. Um, their job is simply to to tell people what they've seen and heard, just to be obedient to what God's asking them to do. And you can see through this passage that many did believe. I think it says that the believers got up to 5,000, which is amazing. But then there are some people that didn't budge. You think of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, that even though they acknowledged that a pretty incredible thing happened in front of them and that it was a miracle um, they still didn't believe. They didn't change their message in front of, in front of the group of people and in front of the elders. Like you know, the Sadducees are a group of, um, a group of Jewish leaders who did not believe in any resurrection, and they tended to be the more elite um, group, more wealthy. Um, of the Jewish leaders, and they didn't. And But Peter doesn't shy away from talking about the resurrection and that Jesus is the one who came and was resurrected. Um, and he didn't change his message to kind of cater to his audience or to see he's just telling the truth of what he's seen and what he's heard. Um, and you see that Peter and John are being obedient. If you remember, this is the same Peter that walked with Jesus who Jesus told him, when he, before he um, died and rose again, that Peter was going to be the, the rock on which the church started from. And he's, he's walking that out. And he has seen enough through walking with Jesus and then seeing his death and burial and resurrection that, he, I mean, he's, he's ready. <laughs> he's, this is truth, as truth can be for him. He's being obedient um, and, and it's just very simple. If you even go through in the New Testament and you read through, um, or we'll get there in Acts, how Paul witnesses to people, it's always very simple. It's Jesus's life, his death, and his resurrection and life with him. It's very simple. It's just the truth, and they, and they keep it that way, and Peter is the same. The other thing that really stood out to Brandon and I as we prepared for this teaching is you see in this passage the activity of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And that is a mystery, right? It is a mystery, but it's also really incredible to see in this passage. Thinking through, like, where do you see God the Father in this passage. 
you look for, look in verse, um, in verse 11. Um, this verse comes from Psalm 118 about the cornerstone that was rejected became the, or the, the stone that was rejected became the chief cornerstone. And then the prophecies in verse 25 through 26, those come from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage um, against Jesus? And if you keep reading that psalm, it's, it's really quite impressive. It says that the Lord laughs, that he looks down and laughs at people mocking him. As if like, who are you? That you would sit here and mock me, the king, the creator. And you see that when their first response, when Peter and John are released and they go back to the believers, their first response is to worship. And what is the characteristic of God that they worship first? He's he, as creator. God is creator. That he started everything. Peter doesn't have to force the kingdom of God. This is God's, this is God's baby. <laughs> this is his plan. And God is forcing it. He's the creator. He's keeping things in motion. God is the driver. And Peter and John and the disciples are simply walking in obedience of telling people what they've seen and heard and letting God do the rest. Peter doesn't have to be forceful, but he is pretty bold, and he is very confident in Jesus and that Jesus is going to back up his message as he tells it in front of people. And Jesus is the message and the source of Peter and John and the disciples' drive of their confidence. Jesus is the source. Ellis, in the very beginning of Acts, you may remember that he encouraged us as a church to read through Luke at the same time as reading through Acts. And if you haven't had a chance to do that, I really encourage that you do. Anytime you hear Ellis or Ginger or someone that you respect give a suggestion, you should do it um, because it's good for us. And that's part of being in a mentoring relationship. And you may not get one-on-one with Ellis all the time, but if he offers a suggestion, you should take that as a mentor and do it. And so I've been trying to, to read Luke at the same time. And... It's to me, if you look through specifically as you're, as you're meeting with your friend over lunch about all the things I missed, also read through Luke 6. Because there are so many parallels of what Jesus did. So in Luke 6 is when Jesus met, um, a person with a, a man with a lame hand, and it was the, or a withered, I think it says withered hand. And it was on the Sabbath day, and the rulers and leaders were watching. And the parallels to what Jesus did, then to what Peter did, you have to see that Peter is following exactly what he saw Jesus do. I mean, even the way it says in scriptures that Jesus looked the man in the eye before he healed them, and then he looked at everyone around him in the eye before he gave a reason. And Peter's, Peter did the same thing in chapter 3, that he approached the man, he looked at him, And then he looked at the people around him and gave a response. And so you have to, you have to see that, oh, Peter's boldness is coming from what he saw of Jesus. He walked with him. He knows him. Peter's drive, I mean, he's coming, and Peter and John, I don't want to leave out John. John's in this thing too. It's not just about Peter, right? But, um, but there's also, the, they're just testifying about the death and the resurrection, the simplicity of Jesus, 
the power. It's simple, but it's powerful. The death and resurrection of Jesus. And then he says in verse 12, And there is salvation in no other. There is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. It's an exclusive statement. And he's saying to the Jewish rulers, you're not waiting for anyone else. There's not going to be anyone else after that you're waiting for that's going to come. This is it. This is the only one. And for us, even though we live in a a very relative culture and generation, it's the same. There's not... um, you know, Peter and John's message be, may be, you're not waiting for anyone else. And our message to our generation may be, it's not, it's not multiple. It's not everyone together. And, you know, we were talking, I, um, we have these, we have a great neighborhood. If you ever want to move to Edna Gardens, move there. <laughs> uh, we just had a block party and I can, was in a conversation, uh, with a friend of mine. One of my neighbors and I can um, talk with her. They know that we go to church. They know that we're very active, that we have a great church community, and we've mentioned Jesus and God in conversations with them. And whenever we mention or something about Jesus or the, my response to parenting or something or God, the reaction is always, yeah, that's great. And I want to stop and go, no, 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 you don't. You don't get it. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But then, you know, so she'll, yes, yes, you know, good, good. And then she will, you know, bring up something about um, Hinduism or something about that they're celebrating or getting. And um, and <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> what was that? Oh, but but you know, in her in her perspective, there's Jesus and there's there's Christianity and there's Hinduism together, right? And it's it's they're both good. Um, and as long as they are helping you, they're giving you hope, then, you know, it's both, it's both good. And I think that's the challenge in our culture to live out a singularity of following Jesus. Um, uh, the singular, the one mindset, the, this is the only way, um, for us who follow Jesus, that he is the one. Um, but again, not in a forceful way because God will speak to my neighbor, Right. It's not my responsibility to convince her. It's my my responsibility to give an answer for how I live before the Lord and how I'm living in front of her. And then God is the creator and the driver, and he sorts that out. Um, and you can pray for my neighbor and pray for me as I witness to my neighbor. Um, and, you know, we were talking... Jesus is is the center of their message, but the name of Jesus, you know, we sing the name of Jesus is so powerful, but it's not like a like a magic name, right? Where you say Jesus and then woo, um, and you know something happens. But it's it's saying the name Jesus, especially out loud, kind of roots us in that reminder of who we're rooted in. We're rooted in Jesus. Our hearts and our minds are rooted in Jesus. So it's not, a, it's not a magic card that we play to get a healing or to get something that we need, but it's a grounding and a rooting um, for us and for people around us. And then we see, of course, the Holy Spirit. If you look in verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, as if it was continuation, because there's Pentecost, like a clear giving of the Holy Spirit in an amazing way. 
And then Peter's acting with boldness, not on his own, but with kind of this continual filling up, filled with the Holy Spirit. But then in verse 31, after the believers are excited and they're worshiping God and they're saying, Lord, please give us, um, you know, more. We want to more. We want to preach your name more. And then there's another filling up. And so I'm not a scholar on the Holy Spirit, but when I look at this passage, I see that there is this continual as Christians, when we when we commit our lives to Jesus, there is this giving of the Holy Spirit inside us. But then there are also those times where there is a, a moment of giving of the Holy Spirit that is a, a replenish, a filling up and over and beyond what we had at the moment, and it's it's for something, right? And here in verse 31 and at the end of Acts chapter 4, that filling up of the Holy Spirit was that they could continue to, to teach with boldness, and that was a gift um, that they have. And so as, we, as we're thinking about the Holy Spirit and Jesus the Son and God the Father, and we're seeing them interact together in this chapter, and we're seeing them work as one, God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're working together And then you come to the end where it says, or the end of this chapter, where the believers are one heart and one mind. And it's like an echo of what we see. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit working together and bringing the church also with them into this oneness. And I'm not going to go into um, a lot of how the believers shared everything and how they were one heart and one mind. Um, but I will just say that that didn't happen before obedience and the Holy Spirit. The disciples and the believers acted in obedience to what God was asking them to do. And then there was a worship that got back together. And that's church, right? That's what our church should be, that we should be out during the week what does Ellis say? Where we live, work, and play. And then we should come back on a Sunday morning and say, Woo! Like, this happened. I said this. I was obedient. I did what I was supposed to do. And this did happen. Maybe it didn't happen as a result. But that's church. And then we should all say, Woo! And we should praise the Lord for what happened and for the filling up of the Holy Spirit. And then see what happens. And then see how we act as family. And then see, you know, how we meet each other's needs out of that overflow of the Holy Spirit and of being obedient to him when he asks us. If while I'm teaching or while I'm saying these things or while you're reading Acts, when you think of following Jesus, to me this is an overarching the overarching theme for me is that they're following Jesus. They're obedient to Jesus, and they're walking out their lives that way. And as I was reading, I was asking the Lord and reading through Luke, asking, asking God, God, show me who Jesus is. Like, get me excited about who Jesus is. And if you're, and if you're listening or as you're thinking and reading through even this morning, if you're in a place where you're not, um, I don't know what the word is for it, but, um, adoring who Jesus is, um, 
then that's a, that's a thing. Like you don't want to leave. We don't want to leave church without adoring who Jesus is. Um, and, and, and it's okay to be honest if you're in that place, um, of not adoring who Jesus is, but let's get to a place where we need the Holy Spirit to fill us up, um, and read through Luke and read through some of the gospels where you see how incredible Jesus is, the way he interacts with people of all different ranks of life, the way that he uh, treats people, the truth that he speaks uh, plainly, well, I guess sometimes not plainly <laughs> when he teaches in parables, but um, but just the, the love and incredibleness of Jesus um, is the love of God for us. Him sending Jesus was the love of God for us. And so I encourage you, if, you, if you're if you in a place where you want to adore Jesus more and who is Jesus and walk with Jesus the way Peter and Luke did, make this your altar during worship. Um, come and bow down and ask the Holy Spirit. Ask one of us to pray with you that you would have this filling up and this adoration of Jesus and go back and read through the Gospels um, of what he did. Because, you know, even um, even the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, in our day, I feel like if someone got healed, we would have to convince someone that it was a miracle because we would probably automatically chalk it up to um, something medical or something else that happened along the way that was the reason for uh, a healing. But the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they acknowledged it was a miracle. They knew it was a miracle. They just didn't want it to go any further. And so when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, like, why aren't the Why do they not want it to go further? Is it really only that they want to keep their status? Do the Pharisees and Sadducees really only want to be on the top? Do they want to have that influence? Do they want to have that lead? Do they want to have um, a kind of a society where they can expect what comes next? Uh, With Jesus, you can't always expect what comes next. And we know that sometimes in our own lives from following him, that he leads us in one direction or another. Um, And I think if if that's the only thing that kept them from walking with Jesus... That's a, that's a big warning to us because that's an easy temptation to fall into. We're not above that, um, that temptation to still want to do our own things. Um, in fact, I, I think that we have a tendency, that we, we want to be somewhere in the middle. We want to see Jesus and we want to walk with Jesus, um, but, but we also want to serve ourselves. We also want to be comfortable. We want what, what we want or what we know or can expect. And, and God knows us and he knows our hearts, but there's not a, there's not a quiet middle. There's, there is a following Jesus with a boldness and a confidence in that he's backing us up. We're not walking, we're, we're not walking out on a limb. We are safe in his arms and in his presence as we're witnessing and as we're speaking boldly and confidently about what we know of God. And if you're thinking about, like, what would I say right now about what I know of God? What am I experiencing right now of who God is and who Jesus is in my life? Just think about it for a moment. What would you say? 
What do you, what are you experiencing of Jesus in your life right now? And if it's hard for you to think of something like right now, think of some of the milestones that you've been in. Maybe when you became a Christian, maybe when you were healed of something, delivered from something. And those are real. Those are real, those are real times. And the Lord is acting right now, but he does act. Evelyn even reminded me this week, my daughter Evelyn, we were having devotions and she was saying, you know, I learn of God that sometimes he comes in very small, powerful ways. And sometimes if we don't stop, she didn't say this part, but now I'm elaborating on her own teaching, <laughs> that, um, that we don't want to skip over those things. <laughs> let's, let's acknowledge Jesus in those small things. Um, because those are big, and we don't want to pass over them. Um, so we don't want to miss it. And we, we want to give a testimony to who Jesus is. Um, and the thing is that the Lord knows us, and he knows our weaknesses. He knew Peter's weaknesses, and he forgave Peter. And Peter then, you know, he, he um, denied Christ uh, when, when the going got tough. But Jesus forgave him. And Peter accepted that forgiveness, and Peter walked on. And we're in that same way. There is grace for us, but there's also an authority that we that is a gift and an invitation to us to walk out in. And we can see it so plainly here um, through Peter and through the church. If if I want to spend the time, we're gonna the worship team is gonna come back up. And I just want to spend some time as you're, as you're worshiping and as you're thinking through, you know, what are, what are ways that you, that you've seen Jesus, that you're seeing Jesus right now in your life? What are ways that you would want to give testimony for right, right now we, Brandon and I get lots of questions from our neighbors about parenting or how do you parent this way? Or why do you parent that way? Um, or questions about what do you do when your kids, you know, this, and um, we could easily answer without mentioning Jesus. But the truth is that Brandon and I are trying to parent by looking at Jesus. And so when we are talking with other parents, we, we can mention Jesus. Um, and, and it's okay. <laughs> and it's good. And we will, I want to grow in that. And I think I, think I could speak for Brandon and say we, we both want to grow in that. Um, and I think we can all grow in that. But as, as we worship today, if you want that refreshing of that adoration of who Jesus is, or you want that kind of freshness of the Holy Spirit, there'll be a few of us, um, to pray. And so feel free to come pray to us. Also feel free to make this an altar. There are um, kneeling pads. If you want a kneeling pad, use your chair, use up here. There is something about changing your posture and kneeling before the Lord, um, and you're not kneeling before the worship team or before the front or in front of everyone else so everyone can see you, but there's a, just a posture of openness that's an invitation to the Lord. I want you, I want to walk all the way in your confidence and your authority, and so I'm taking this posture to be open to you. Um, and so if that's a posture that you want to take, um, then feel free. It would be a church that can be open with our um, invitations to Jesus. Um, so feel free to also grab someone in your small group um, that you want to pray with as well.
Let's pray. Lord, thank you for showing us who you are in this passage. Um, I want to be like Peter and John and the disciples that were so taken with who you are that they um, spoke your name boldly and confidently knowing that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit was right there with them, walking with them, very present. Um, So help us to see that in our lives right now. Help us to adore you. Um, Fill us up fresh with your Holy Spirit and help us to walk out in obedience to you. Amen.